What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their view from the pew on Modern Day Radio. And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I am your host, Brenda Aiken, and joining me today is the man who finally put all of my Christmas decoration boxes away, the good deacon, Scott Aiken. Well, and not only did we put boxes away, we actually reduced boxes, which I think is just outstanding for you because you're a box saver. Boxes, bags, anything that looks usable again is valued. I'm not quite sure why I like containers. Boy, set me loose in the container store. I could spend a whole afternoon looking at different shapes and sizes of them. I love boxes. I love boxes because that means I get to put things into boxes. I did have a special goal, though, this year. And I went through all of the Christmas decorations that had just been kind of stored in our attic because they don't go out. So I decided, well, I'm going to purge those things that I don't need anymore. Those things that have just been kind of building up and we were able to donate those. And because of that, we got rid of some boxes. I did spend a little time looking at the containers. I bought some newer ones so that way we had the ability to put some more things away. But it wasn't just about getting things into boxes and into the attic. There was a certain order, I would say, into how those things got put into them. So that way I would have access. You would have just as soon gotten them all in there in the smallest amount of space. You know, it reminds me when I was a kid, clean your room. And I would just shove everything into the closet. Hope my parents wouldn't open the closet. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's my tendency. But I, I'm appreciative of all the work you did because it really looks great. And boy, that took a lot of time. But you enjoyed yourself as you did it because you're listening to music and singing away. But you ha- it's almost like you needed to be by yourself so that nobody was going to interfere with the flow, the mojo of what was going on. <laughs> and you did great. Right. Now, in ordinary cases, I suppose I would get everybody in and listen to the grumbling and just tell them how it was supposed to be. But because I had this this goal in mind to get rid of things, I really knew that it was going to be up to me to decide what was going to stay and what had to go. And then, uh, yes, then it came last week where there was literally a train of boxes that led from the landing all the way down the stairs into the living room. And I said, this is the exact order that these boxes need to go in. So that way, well, we are all ready for Christmas, which at this point is probably another 350 days away, something like that. So the countdown is on. But we are at a new year. We've made our resolutions. Uh, and we are in ordinary time. The priests are back in the green. Scott, you're in the green Dalmatic again. And it's the ordinary time of year as we lead towards the Lenten season. But there's nothing really ordinary about it. But it is that kind of day-to-day living our faith. Many ways, this time of year, that day-to-day living the life. Busy family like ours. Oftentimes when I talk to parishioners about, no, just liturgical uh, components and that comment comes out about ordinary time. Why, why is it called ordinary time? And and it's important for us to remind one another that ordinary in the Catholic Church is not ordinary. It's ordered, ordered, just like making order of all of the chaos of Christmas stuff we had. We're to order our lives according to the liturgical calendar to prepare ourselves for each of the 
feast days, each of the seasons that come in the year of the of the liturgy. So this is getting us prepared in ordinary time for Lent. So what do we do? Um, I think that, like we said before, when we set our New Year's resolutions, as Catholics, we ought to be taking advantage of that secular notion of doing that to look toward what are we what are we going to do? What might we recommit to, even in more commitment to the Lenten commitments we make? So the sacrifices that we offer. I always remember when looking at the school year when our kids were real young, when they went back to school in September, to when the Thanksgiving and then Christmas holidays came, those months flew by. Then once we came back to school after vacation, that push from now until June when the kids were out for the summer was really long haul. And some days, boy, it was a real hard push. Our lives are so full of all of the things that we have to do. Life just gets really busy this time of year. You want to just put a pause on it, though, just to take a breath. Well, that is going to lead us to today's show, because coming up, I have an opportunity to talk with Jerusalem Jones, and you know him as Steve Ray. We're going to spend some time talking about the Holy Family, but in a very practical way. They lived a very hard existence, and so we are going to talk about a day in the life of the Holy Family. And then after that, maybe we could compare what we're experiencing to what we just heard this past Sunday in the wedding at Cana, and what Jesus was asked by his mother to do, to enter into the ordinary in our lives, to find what is perfect by God's view and intent in our lives. So we got a great show ahead for you on this week's View from the Pew. Stay with us. The Catholic Church teaches that Mary was born without sin and remained sinless throughout her life. Some Christians object, saying that if Mary was sinless, she did not need Christ as her Savior. But the Catholic Church teaches, as does Scripture, that she did indeed need a divine Savior. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 and 47, after her cousin Elizabeth and the baby she was carrying, John the Baptist, recognized that Mary is carrying the Messiah, Mary says, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary, the mother of God, was not saved out of sin, but rather she was saved from sin. The rest of us are delivered out of original and personal sin while she was preserved from it. Either way, her salvation, like ours, is God's gracious gift through the life, death, and resurrection of her Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Examining the truths of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. Why do you listen to Mater Day Radio? Is it for the prayers, Catholic news and education, or to be inspired? Whatever your reason for listening, we are grateful for your support. And as we surpass 30 years of broadcasting a gospel message, we hope you will consider leaving a legacy for Mater Day Radio in your estate planning. This can be as easy as including Catholic Radio as a beneficiary in your will. For more information on estate planning options, please visit us online at materdayradio.com. It's Deacon 
Scott and Brenda Aiken with their View from the Pew on Mater Dei Radio. Well, you know, day to day, family life can be hectic with all of the things we have on our schedules. From getting the kids to school, work for mom and dad, errands to run, and then appointments to keep. Well, then the kids come home from school, there's after school activities, then dinner, then finally some homework. But did it always take this kind of effort to raise a family? Do you ever wonder how the Holy Family living in Nazareth filled their days? Well, joining me this morning to talk about a day in the life of the Holy Family, it is our friend and evangelist, Steve Ray. Steve has made many trips with groups to the Holy Land, has walked in the places that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph lived, and he's joining me today. Hello, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Brenda. I'm happy to be here, and it's one of my favorite topics to talk about the Bible, the Lord, and the land. Oh, that is absolutely perfect. Well, let's talk about the land. As I said, you've walked in the footsteps of the Holy Family. So first, give us kind of a lay of the town of Nazareth and what Mary and Joseph's home, Raising Christ, kind of look like and fit into that landscape. By going to the land, we call it the fifth gospel because you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when you go to the land, it's like the fifth gospel. It brings the other four into widescreen technicolor. And it really helps the Bible come alive and the whole Catholic faith come alive. If you were going to visit Mary and Joseph and Jesus 2,000 years ago in Nazareth, you'd have to first find it on the map because it's not something that not a city mentioned in the Old Testament. It's an obscure little village way off the main road up in the north, far away from Jerusalem, which is the heart and city uh, city center religious life of, of the land of Israel and the Jewish people. You're way up north. The whole of Nazareth was no more than two acres in size. We know that because when you look at it today, there's a graveyard, there's a cliff and so on. And so the archaeologists have marked out about no more than two acres of land. And the people didn't live in homes like we did. They lived in caves. They had caves, and archaeologists have identified about 25 caves that they lived there. And so Mary grew up as a young girl in the cave of her family. And when she married Joseph, they moved into another cave, which he provided for the family, and the Holy Family lived there. What they did with these caves, Brenda, is Mm -hmm. that they would build a stone front on them. These are Most of these are natural caves. There's still many caves all over the Holy Land today. You can go find them outside of Bethlehem in the hillside. In fact, in Bethlehem, where we have our mass, where the shepherds were, it's a huge cave, and they've built a brick front to it, so with a door. And Joseph would have done that, and the Holy House of Loretto, in my contention, would have been that front facade piece of the, of the uh, front of the cave. So anyway, that's, that's another story. And they lived in the cave, and that's where they, uh, the Holy Family lived very rustic. They didn't have all of the amenities that we have today. Mary would have made their clothing, probably. She had cooked over a fire for them. We never thought about the Holy Family like that before. But we have the idea that somehow they walked three feet off the ground, and they weren't real human beings. So the Holy Family had a very rustic life that we in a way, we transpose our life onto them and think in a way that they kind of live like us, but they certainly didn't. They had a very, very simple and I would say a tough life. 
Yeah, let's talk about the day for each one of these. They all had their roles to do. And let's talk about St. Joseph. In our past conversation, Steve, you said that Joseph was most likely a stone worker based on where they lived. What was his work week like? I mean, we think about, like you said, we get up in the morning, we get in our car, we go to work, we do our eight-hour shift, and then we go home. Was that typical for the kind of week that that St. Joseph did? Did he even have a weekend? They had the Sabbath. That was the seventh day of the week. Um, The Sabbath would be that they would work six days, but they would have the Sabbath free. And that would be for family, for fun, for education, and most of all, to go to the synagogue and worship God. But if you live in a small backwater village of 25 caves, how do you make a living? About an hour walk away, half an hour to run, but an hour walk away, was a building site called Sepphoris. The Romans were building a capital city, and they were drawing skilled and unskilled labor from all over the area to build this city. And my contention is that Joseph and Jesus and those others who were of the building trade, uh, practical people, would leave and walk over the hillside and walk that hour down to Sepphoris every day and then walk an hour back. Joseph was, we hear in, in the Gospels, a carpenter, and we translate that in our English word of what we think of as a carpenter. But what carpenter means is someone who works with hard materials, basically a day laborer, somebody who works with metal or stone or wood, somebody of that nature. And so Jesus and Joseph were workers of hard materials. Well, what is the building material in Nazareth? They have, even to this day, when you drive around, I point them out on the bus, that these are stone quarries. They're quarrying Jerusalem limestone. And so I'm, I would say, and I think most would agree with me, that Joseph was a stonemason, that he was either one that would go to the, to the quarries and they would chip and chop and pull those pieces of stone out of the hillside, or they would be the ones to shape the stones once they got to Sepphoris and put them in place in the theater seats and the walls and the buildings. I had a group that the last time, right before COVID hit, and on that trip, I took people to Sepphoris and I said, walking along the street, I said, I want you to realize that any one of these stones could have been put there by Joseph and oh. Jesus. Steve Ray joining me today. As a mom, I know how I filled my days, especially when my children were young. There was constant running around, but then there was also the dirty work of changing diapers, making food. And then, of course, kids got sick from time to time. It feels like a lot some days. So when looking back at the life of Mary, what was her day typically like compared to, I mean, all the things that we go through in our daily life? Very much the same, taking care of a husband and taking care of a son. She would have been, do you really think Jesus pooped his diapers? I mean, he was a son of God. He wouldn't do that, would he? Well, of course he did. And they didn't have disposable diapers back in those days. Sure. So they would have... They would have a piece of cloth or something, and then they'd have to wash it in the water. And by the way, what did Mary do the first thing in the morning? She had to get the water. She's going to wash those little nappies or diapers that Jesus is wearing. Uh, She's got to get the water. So the first thing Mary does every day is she puts a jug on her head, probably a two or three gallon jug made of pottery. And I have pictures of Nazareth 150 years ago when cameras were first and developed and made and pictures of the women of Nazareth going to the same well that Mary went to and show pictures of them getting water from that same well. Mary was there 2000 years ago doing that same thing every morning and night because they didn't have running water. The only water source for Nazareth was a 15 minute walk away. 
So she would have had to get that just stone jar jug. And men didn't do this, by the way. This was woman's work. Only women went to the well to get the water. Mary would have got that jug, the little Jesus tagging along behind her, going probably with other women, and the kids are playing along the way on this dirt path, and she would have to fill that jug up with water. So Mary would come back then, and she would then do the work. What does she do? Well, she had to mend the clothes. Maybe she made their clothes. If you want to get an idea of what women did back then, especially industrious ones, read Proverbs 31 about the excellent wife. And it'll tell you what women did back then, making the clothes for their family, making sure they had food for the family. Mary would have had to go out to the marketplace or some of the uh, maybe the um, people would come through town and they would be selling vegetables and different things like that. She'd have to prepare the meals for them. She would also they would open their day with prayer and their prayers were from the usually from the book of Psalms or Isaiah and they would chant them. And so they would do that morning and night as well. And so Mary would have been a very industrious person. She didn't have the conveniences we have, but I would have think that she'd have calloused hands and she would be a, a rough, tough woman because she lived in a very tough time. Steve Ray is joining me today as we talk about a day in the life of the Holy Family And then lastly, you know, after a long week, I know that it's wonderful to have a little leisure time with the family, maybe go on a hike or out to dinner. Was there time in kind of an ancient life 2000 years ago with so many things that really had to be done just in order for life to happen? Do we know if there was a leisure time for the Holy Family to just enjoy each other? Well, you said go for a hike. They already walk an hour to work one way back and forth. They don't want to hike anywhere. (laughs) No, and I I wrote a blog one time called Did Jesus Ever Run? Because I'm a runner. I I was. My knees are shot now. But I said, why would he run? He walks everywhere. In those days, it was like, why run when you can walk? And why walk when you can sit down? (laughs) Because they're already busy all the time. But but this would be the synagogue. Nazareth had a synagogue in the town. So did Capernaum. So they would go and spend the day worshiping God, reading the Torah, singing or chanting. They would chant the Psalms and they would obviously spend time with the family and doing uh, just relaxing. I would think we don't there's nothing I can think of that tell us what they would do, but there's, I would think that it was a day for rest. They wouldn't work. They would just enjoy their company together because there's going to be six more days of work. And by the way, that's called the Sabbath, the day of rest, because in Egypt, they were forced to work seven days a week without ever having a day off. And God says, I am your new Lord. I am your new master. And I'm very merciful. I'm even going to mandate It's going to be a law that you can't work seven days. I'm going to make you take a day off. I'm going to make you have a day to be with your family, to love your wife, to spend your time worshiping me. What a different kind of a Lord that was than the Pharaoh. Well, what a perfect reminder that all of us to remember to keep holy our Sabbath day and keep it open for the family and the Lord. Steve Ray is joining me today as we talk about day in the life of the Holy Family. Well, if you want to see the Holy Land, maybe you want to go with Steve Ray because he knows, well, just about everything there is to know. Steve, COVID is not holding you back any longer. There are pilgrimages to go on. Tell our listeners what you got coming up for 2022. 
We've got 14 of them, five to Israel. We've got the St. Paul cruise on the Mediterranean, 10 biblical sites, also Mary on that one. We've got two trips to Oberammergau for the Passion Play and also Switzerland and Northern Italy. In March, we're going to the Saints and Shrines of Italy. We also have some domestic ones now, too, the Saints and Patriots of Philadelphia, the Saints and the Shrines of Wisconsin with Cardinal Burke. If you want to see them all, just go to to catholicconvert.com. Click on that big banner on the front. It'll take you to my pilgrimage website. We've got them all there with interactive maps and movies and everything. So we got a lot going on this year. Steve, thank you so much. It is always a great time when you get to join the show. Thank you, Brenda. And again, that is Steve Ray. I will be sure to add a link to where you can find out more information about all of Steve's pilgrimages and things that you can get yourself involved with. I'm going to put the link on the podcast of this interview. You're going to find it on the Hail Mary media app or on our webpage, MontereyRadio.com. Well, I was born in a small town And I lived in a small town So, Scott, after hearing that interview with Steve Ray and the way that he talks about how Mary and Joseph had to live their existence in what we would see as as a cave, a built out cave compared to what we have to do today while we have all of these modern abilities to get things done. Well, we have managed to just really fill up our days in life, whereas Mary just had to do the ordinary we spend a lot of time thinking about the Holy Family as this family of perfection, one that we can never attain. And yet they were a human family just like us. And that's exactly who we're supposed to be like. Right. And I think, you know, in terms of perfection, the, the perfect is how God orders it and how we then enter into that order. And I think what we heard this last weekend, as I said, in the gospel of the wedding at Cana Christ lived an ordered life with Mary and Joseph up until that point. And that ordered life was ordered around family. And he grew in that family. He learned in that family. He became the man he was in that family. And then he was asked in an extraordinary moment to do on behalf of the bride and the groom a miracle. And he does it at the direction of his mother who says gently, they've run out of wine. Mm-hmm. And then tells the disciples and the, and the servants, do whatever he tells you. So there's a, um, there's a beautiful uh, reality to that, that it's our ordered time leads us to the point when we need to make critical decisions, but we do it together oftentimes in family, oftentimes in community, not individually by ourselves. In preparing for the interview, and I was talking with Steve, and I said, you know, Steve, it's very difficult because we look at the Holy Family, they are the perfect model. And how can we, this family of imperfect people, ever come close to that? And I said, I had a priest once talk to me about how the difficulty I was having, and we had three of our youngest children, they came in relatively quick succession. In fact, I believe that when our youngest son was born, we had a newborn, a two-year-old, and a three-year-old, and then an older daughter who was about seven years old at the time. And I thought there for a while, there were years where I never slept through the night. I just thought, how can I get through another day? And I remembered this priest saying, well, Brenda, he says, you know, Jesus woke Mary up in the middle of the night and she also had to get up 
and feed him and take care of his needs. And I guess what he was getting at was that you're not alone. You're not alone. It does. Yes, this is maybe an extended period of time. And of course, now looking back all of these years later, what a drop of time getting up in the middle of the night looks like you know, on this end of the years, this end where we had another daughter move out of her teenage years, another daughter turned into her 20s. We've only got two teenagers living with us anymore. And boy, those few nights, how precious they are to me now. So I'm not a perfect mother, nor do we have perfect children. But you and I are most definitely the perfect parents for those children. And God placed them in our lives because of that. You know, that's absolutely right. And I think that's the the perfect is Christ being placed in the responsibility of Joseph and Mary. And again, he echoes that responsible role as the child to the mother to do whatever she asks in this case. When she says, do whatever he tells you, he respects her ask because he's been raised with the Ten Commandments. He's been raised with the the Jewish tradition of family and the importance. Um, it's in the life that we live that we might think in that earlier term we talked about with ordinary, that actually the extraordinary is built on. So that when we're called to do something extraordinary, we have wisdom, we have experience, we have a support from family and community that gives us the ability to do the extraordinary. Now, some of us may feel like we've never been called to do something extraordinary, but I'm sure that when we die and we see our life unfold before us, that there were many extraordinary things that we did and we took for granted, but were benefits for God's people. That's my hope, and I think that's what, as Catholics, we should always strive to to say, do I have an opportunity in this moment? Even though I don't feel extraordinary and I don't feel like what I'm going to do is extraordinary, it may have extraordinary impact if I turn my will to God and do what I might otherwise think I don't have the capacity to do. God gives us the capacity. The other part about the interview that was so important was the fact that when I asked Steve Ray about was there time of leisure for the Holy Family, he said that happened on the Sabbath. So if you are running around this afternoon, this weekend ahead looks so full, maybe make a moment to try to figure out your schedule. So that way come Sunday, we'll have some leisure time and some time to be with the family in exactly the same way that the Holy Family was. Scott, will you end us in prayer? Yes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for family. We thank you for an opportunity in our lives to appreciate the day-to-day realities of living in family. Help us who are suffering this new year of disconnection from family to lean and turn toward you, Lord, who can repair and build on all that you have created. We trust in you, Lord, that this day we are part of this family that you have called together, the people of God. In your holy name we pray, amen. And that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Please tune in next week as we share with you more stories about our faith, our family, and our View from the Pew. God bless. Have a great week. You've been listening to View from the Pew, a weekly look at faith and family life from a Catholic perspective with Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken. 
For more information on the Aikens and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Monterey Radio in Portland, Oregon.